Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David Nakao Wilcoxon. This audio is from the Olivet Discourse Decoded video series. The videos were low-tech, mostly me just reading what's on the screen. So you're not missing much in the audio version. The Olivet Discourse Decoded PDFs that I refer to in the lessons can be found at www.theolivetdiscourse.com. Enjoy the lesson. Hello, Set Apart Saints. This is David. And in the last video, we saw how Matthew 24, 31 is pointing to the messengers, the angels, the leaders of Messiah's Ecclesia of Saints, who called an assembly in the mountains of Pella using trumpets after the desolation of Jerusalem in 70 AD. They determined who would lead a contingent to minister to people who returned to Jerusalem, who would stay in Pella to continue the ministry there, and who spread out throughout the Roman Empire to sound the trumpet of the gospel to gather the elect into the kingdom. In this lesson, I'm going to talk about Messiah setting up his father's kingdom in the first century. The desolation of Jerusalem, the temple, the Jewish leadership system, and the unbelieving Jewish nation is not the end of the story. In order to help you see what took place after the desolation of Jerusalem, we need to backtrack to the time of Messiah's ministry. Pastors tend to only focus on Messiah coming for the Jews, while missing that Messiah made a very different declaration. Messiah confirmed that some of the house of Israel had regathered when he said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Messiah was in Jerusalem during the holy feast days, and when he went the final time to die on the cross of Calvary. But the majority of the time, he ministered in the areas north of Jerusalem, where the house of Israel used to live before the Assyrians scattered them, and where they had regathered. Remember that Yah the Heavenly Father split the Israelites into two kingdoms after Solomon worshipped foreign gods. The southern kingdom, called the house of Judah, consisted of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom, called the house of Israel, consisted of the other ten tribes. In the midst of Isaiah telling the house of Israel that the Assyrians would come to disperse them from the land, he gave them hope that the Messiah would shine on them when they would be regathered before his coming. Isaiah 9, 1-2 says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Then verse 6-7 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali in Galilee were the parts that principally suffered in the first Assyrian invasion, and they were the first that enjoyed the blessings of Messiah, the promised light, preaching the gospel and exhibiting his miraculous works among them. Matthew 4, 13-23 says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon, and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. 
the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in a ship was Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father, and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among people. Modern teachers make us think that the disciples were all Jews, but that's not true. Most of them were born and lived in the areas where the ten tribes of the house of Israel used to live, indicating that their families had returned to the land that was once theirs. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, the son of Zebedee, and Philip were all from Bethsaida, Galilee. Matthew, the evangelist, was from Nazareth. Simon, the zealot, was from Galilee. Bartholomew was from Endor. Thomas was from Jerusalem. Jude, the son of James, who was surnamed Thaddeus, was from Jerusalem also. James, the son of Alphaeus, also called James the Last, was from the area of the Jordan. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, was from the town of Sycharit. He seems to have been of the tribe of Dan, which is interesting as the tribe of Dan is not mentioned in the list of 12 tribes in Revelation. And John the Baptist was of the tribe of Levi. So here's a map, as it would have been in the first century. And we see Messiah and his disciples preach the gospel to the house of Israel in Caesarea. So we're up in this area down here is Jerusalem. We're up here in Caesarea, Nain, Nazareth, Cana, Capernaum, Chorazin, Tyre, Caesarea Philippi the Decapolis, Tenesaret, Perea, and Samaria. When Messiah sent his disciples out, he said, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Messiah came to gather together the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Ezekiel 36, 24-26 foretells the time of the regathering, and it speaks about the time when Yah would write his laws on their hearts. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel thirty-seven sixteen to 17 points to them being rejoined. Moreover, thou son of man, Take thee one stick and write upon it, for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it, for Joseph the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. Ezekiel thirty-seven nineteen says, Thus say the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and I will put them with them even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. Yah says that he would rejoin Judah, the house of Judah, and Ephraim, the house of Israel, so that they were unified as one again. Ephesians 1.10 confirms that Messiah fulfilled this prophecy. It says, In the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Ezekiel 37.22 says, 
I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they be divided into two kingdoms again. Their promised king is Messiah. Ezekiel 37:24 says, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk also in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Messiah is the good shepherd, who is also called the son of David. Ezekiel 37:26 says, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. It's referring to the same covenant as Jeremiah 31, 31-34, which Messiah confirmed at his first coming. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, and I will write in their hearts, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. In Hebrews 8, 8-10, Paul confirmed that this was fulfilled during Messiah's ministry. Hebrews 13.20 confirms that Messiah came as the shepherd to offer them an everlasting covenant. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Messiah came to set up his father's kingdom, which comprises those of the house of Israel and the house of Judah who believed in Messiah. The kingdom was set up in the first century, at the time when the mighty Roman Empire was at its height of power. Daniel 2.44 foretold that Yah would set up his kingdom, not at the end when Messiah returns, but during the days of the four kingdoms. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Daniel 7.13-14 foretold that the Son of Man would come in the clouds of heaven. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Compare that with the language of Matthew 24 and says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Messiah came on the clouds in judgment of the Jews, which led to him setting up his Father's kingdom. He repeatedly said that the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew, Messiah pointed to the kingdom 50 times. He was not pointing to 2,000 years later. He was saying that it drew nigh. Matthew 4:17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 10:7 says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I'm not referring to Messiah's second advent, when he returned to gather his saints. I'm talking about Messiah setting up his father's kingdom with those who believed in him. Daniel foretold that the kingdom of heaven would be set up while the beast kingdoms existed, and we can see from history that this took place during the last beast kingdom of the Roman Empire. 
Messiah declared that the kingdom of Yah would be set up while some of his disciples were still alive. Matthew 16:28 says, Verily I say unto you, there shall be some standing here which shall not taste of death, till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Mark 9, 1 and Luke 9, 27 reiterate the point. In Matthew 23, we see that Messiah cast woe upon woe on the Jewish leaders. He condemned them and proclaimed that all of the martyr prophets' righteous blood would be poured out on them. The proper context of Matthew 24:29 is the end of the Jewish temple and leadership system in 70 AD, with the sun representing the high priest, the moon representing the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and the stars, the many rabbis. The physical types point to Messiah. They pointed to the true fulfillment that was the grand design all along. Messiah proclaimed in his Olivet Discourse that after the events that he just described took place, then he would set up his father's kingdom. Luke 21, 31-32 says, So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. After those things came to pass in 70 AD, the kingdom of Yah was at hand. The physical types which had always pointed to the true kingdom were destroyed, and now the kingdom was set up. In Revelation, the bride of Messiah is called New Jerusalem. With the physical city of Jerusalem destroyed, believers are citizens of Holy Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 2-3 says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. John proclaims that the Bride of Messiah is the holy city, Holy Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 9-10 says, Come hither, I will show thee the Bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the Holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Yah's city is no longer the physical city of Jerusalem, but heavenly Jerusalem, populated by his set-apart people from the tribes of Israel and the Gentiles who have been grafted into the commonwealth of Israel. Hebrews 12, 22-24 says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Adam Clark's commentary on the Bible from 1837 says, Here is an elegant and forcible allusion to the approaching destruction of Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that was below was about to be burnt with fire in a race to the ground. The Jerusalem that was from above was that alone which could be considered to be permanent. The words seem to say, Arise and depart, for this is not your rest. It is polluted. About six or eight years after this, Jerusalem was wholly destroyed. Abraham was not focused on earthly Jerusalem as his inheritance, but rather the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 11.10 says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The writer of Hebrews recalled the beliefs of Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, who looked for a heavenly city. Hebrews 11, 13-16 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. The true Israelites received the promised land, called Holy Jerusalem. Just as Joshua took the Israelites into the promised land, so too is Messiah taking the spiritual Israelites into the promised kingdom. The physical type points to the spiritual type. All the remnant who love the Father, who believe that he sent his Son to atone for their sins, receive the inheritance. Hebrews 13, 12-14 declares that the physical city of Jerusalem is not the city that we should seek after, but rather that of heavenly Jerusalem. It says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. The Jewish leaders managed the Jerusalem gate to determine if people could come in and out. Now Messiah, the Good Shepherd, is the gate, the door, into the city of Holy Jerusalem. John 10, 1-2 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Matthew seven thirteen to 14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Entrance into holy Jerusalem is through Messiah, the headstone, the ruler. Messiah twenty one forty two says, Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The holy city is not isolated to a place in the Middle East, for the gospel was destined to be spread around the whole world. Now all of the saints around the world are citizens of the holy city of heavenly Jerusalem. Messiah and his saints form the temple in which Yah the Heavenly Father dwells. With the physical temple in Jerusalem destroyed in 70 AD, the true temple was set up. For the Father does not dwell in a temple made with hands. Acts seven forty eight to 49 says, Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands, as says the prophet, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, says the Lord, and what is the place of my rest? Acts seventeen twenty four says, God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands. Believers form the temple in which the Father dwells. 1 Corinthians three sixteen to 17 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. The saints are the living temple. 2 Corinthians six sixteen says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The true temple is made by his hand. Ephesians two nineteen to 22 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord 
in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The followers of Messiah are the stones that build up the walls. 1 Peter 2, 4-7 says, Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also, it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. The true tabernacle was made by the Father, not man. The holy temple is not isolated to a place in the Middle East anymore. Now all the saints worldwide form the holy temple of our Heavenly Father, in which He dwells. Messiah became the high priest of His temple. With the physical type, the Jewish high priest removed from power, Messiah took His rightful place. Hebrews 8, 1-2 says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest, who is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, and not man. Hebrews 9, 11-12 says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, this is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The high priest is not isolated to a place in the Middle East anymore. Now all the world's saints have direct access to the victorious, sinless high priest who intercedes for us. The saints are the priests of Messiah's kingdom. With the Jewish priest system removed in 70 AD, Messiah's saints are his priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Revelation 1 6 says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our Heavenly Father's salvation plan was fulfilled when Messiah ratified the everlasting covenant, and then his kingdom was set up by Messiah, which consists of those who believe in him. Many Jews believed in Messiah and were saved, and they played a huge role in the early church, but many rejected him and delivered him up to be killed and they were desolated and removed from power. Romans 2, 28-29 tells us that a Jew is one inwardly whose heart is circumcised. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Romans 9, 6-8 declares that Abraham's fleshly descendants are not the children of Yah, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Galatians 3.16 tells us that the seed of Abraham is Messiah. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. 
Galatians 3.28-29 tells us that the followers of Messiah are Abraham's seed, who received the promises made to Abraham. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Yah the Heavenly Father's kingdom was established in the first century, just like Daniel foretold, in the days of the mighty Roman Empire. Interestingly, the Israelites had to wait 40 years to enter into the Promised Land. They had to wait until the unbelieving generation died, and the remnant moved forward to take the kingdom. We see the same narrative in the first century. During the seventh week of Daniel, Messiah revealed himself as the anointed one sent by the Father. He confirmed the everlasting covenant with his blood, which ratified the promises made to Abraham. The Jews of Messiah's day were at the same place as the Israelites in the desert. They could believe in Messiah and enter the promised land of holy Jerusalem, or they could reject him and die in the city, the physical city of Jerusalem, in their sins. Despite his many miracles, his elegant speeches, his knowledge of the Hebrew letters, his humility, his sinlessness, and his resurrection, most of the Jews didn't believe in him. They were given a generation, 40 years, to accept him as their promised Messiah. The Jews who believed the Messiah were saved from the calamity of the Jewish-Roman War of 66-70 AD. They entered into the promised land of Holy Jerusalem, the Father's kingdom, set up by Messiah, and they advanced the kingdom. Messiah fulfilled the promises made to Father Abraham that the true Israelites, those who believe by faith, would grow into a great kingdom, a great mountain of people. The foundation of that kingdom is made up of Abraham's descendants, the Israelites of the first century, who then spread throughout the Roman Empire preaching the good news to bring many Gentiles into the kingdom. So indeed, the kingdom was taken from the unbelieving Jews and given to those who believe in the gospel of Messiah. Those are the tribes of Israel and the Gentiles who have been grafted into the kingdom, into the commonwealth of Israel. They now form the true Israelites of Holy Jerusalem. That's all for today. I love y'all. Shalom. Thank you for listening to this Olivet Discourse Decoded audio. You can save and print Olivet Discourse Decoded PDF summaries. You can request a free copy of the Olivet Discourse Decoded book or order a printed copy at www.the olivetdiscourse.com. Please share this podcast audio with others so that they can see the glory of Messiah in the fulfillment. I love y'all. Shalom.